What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Robert Kuhar, the Keto Chef Rob on the line. How are you, man? Up, everybody, man. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Glad to have you, brother. Yeah, I know I know this is going to be a good podcast because we got the same name. I mean, that alone makes you worthwhile <laughs> yeah should we just refer to each other as robert the whole time yeah <laughs> yeah let's just let's just go back and forth um so so give me some, some give me some background man give me a little bio on what got you into the keto space and what brings you here in the first place dude i've been doing it for like two years now mm -hmm. um you know it actually originally started as kind of like a business idea um i wanted to do a keto protein bar about two years ago believe it or not really yeah man um, I see you have a keto bar yourself, the keto brick, right? Yeah, the keto brick. Been doing that since yeah. March we launched, I believe. Yeah, dude, I listened to your last podcast all about it. It's pretty cool, dude. Very cool, very cool. So what made you yeah. want to dive into keto in the first place? I mean, like you you said you've been doing it for two years. Um, yeah, so it's it started off as a uh, business idea to make a uh, protein bar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was just right around when keto was starting to get trendy and like people were starting to like, you know, Instagram fitness models and stuff were starting to do it. Um, so I was like, all right, you know, there's not a good protein bar out there. I think the only thing out there at the time was uh, keto bars. Mm -hmm. You familiar with those? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was in school and there was this little program called Startup uh, FIU. I was at Florida International University. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just pitched it in like a little Shark Tank style meeting. And, uh, you know, they love the idea. I actually, a little dirty secret, I wasn't keto at the time. Yeah. I just thought that's a really cool business idea. And it ended up um, kind of like just changing the way that I eat and stuff like that, because I ended up that I really liked the diet. And even though I didn't end up doing the protein bars, um, you know, it got me introduced to keto itself. And I was pretty, pretty pumped for that. So did you just start diving into like all the research that was coming out the podcast and stuff back then? Yeah, I was, um, you know, it, my initial meeting with, um, these like investors at this little, uh, incubator program, uh, pretty much they told us, Hey, this is a really good idea but you need to do more research. You essentially need to build us a proposal. Mm -hmm. um, I think they said that we needed a proof of market validation and stuff like that. And one of them gave me the idea to make a YouTube channel. If the YouTube channel takes off, then there's your proof of market right there. Ah, that's pretty wise. <laughs> that's, actually, that's where it started, yeah. So that, that's, that's what got you into doing YouTube in the first place. Exactly, yeah. And actually, it's um, even though I didn't end up doing the, uh, the bar itself, um, it was a cool result of kind of that uh, little venture. I'm curious, man. I want I want to I want to dive even deeper into into the past. What what made you interested in like the the entrepreneurial business startup you know mindset in the first place? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to think about that. That was about two years ago. So 2017, um, me and a few bros of mine, uh, we would just kind of do little brainstorm meetups, and we would just like meet up with a few other guys who, you know, we didn't know exactly what we wanted to do, but we knew that we wanted to be our own boss and, you know, have a startup of our own. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would literally just sit down with some beers and just shoot ideas back and forth to each other. Um, and we do that like once every other week, uh, super informal. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's where the, uh, the keto idea originally got pitched, um, believe it or not, over beers. Which I can't, <laughs> I can't even imagine now, dude. Like, <laughs> Not keto beers, I take it. Uh, no, not keto beers at all, man. I mean, nowadays it's uh, it's only keto beers if it is one mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> but yeah, so that's I just really wanted to have a business of my own, and so you know, I 
I knew that I could cook. So protein bar kind of fit right into there. And uh, this keto thing was blowing up. So I decided to give that a shot. And one thing led to another. What made you uh, interested in cooking, man? Have you always enjoyed cooking? Or is that kind of like a new development over the past few years? No, man, that's just been something I've always done. Um, You know, ever since I was you know, in high school, I would bring my own lunch just because I like to cook my own lunch. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it just, it just intrigued me how you could like layer flavors on top of another and you could get this crazy product. Um, when, uh, you know, and and a lot of times it was just, uh, because I, I couldn't afford to have like the food that I wanted. Like, I remember like one of the first like breakthrough moments for me in cooking was, uh, like Triscuit had like these, uh, garlic rosemary Triscuits. And this is like a long time. This is like 10 years ago. Mm Um, and I was just like, how did they get that flavor? I couldn't like convince my mom to buy the rosemary flavored Triscuit. She wanted to get like some generic Walmart brand or something. (laughs) So I just got the generic Walmart brand and I made it myself at home. And, uh, so I was just kind of blown away that, you know, just using the spices and stuff that you have in your cabinet, you can make what you want. This is fascinating to me. Like, cause I, I am, am no chef by any means. Like I love to eat, but as a bodybuilder, I, I tend to go for the most simplistic way of obtaining my food. Um, yes. But I, I really respect and appreciate, you know, quality, quality cooking. Because like, it's like an art form, really. I mean, it's, it's, you're mm-hmm. taking what you have. It's like a, like each plate is a blank canvas, so to speak. And you get to paint your own picture. Mm-hmm. I like to, um, like people who are just learning how to cook, I usually present it to them um, in this way. I, I tell them that cooking is a solution to a problem. So some of the best recipes are built out of a conundrum that you have in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, if you uh, have just way too many almonds and you got to get rid of all these almonds, now you're thinking about ways you can get rid of these almonds. Okay, I could make it into a sauce. I could blend them up into a puree. I could uh, just shave them on top of everything. And then all of a sudden you have like these almond inspired recipes. So. I use that as an example, but usually it's it's like, oh man, I got this ingredient and I got to get rid of it. How do I do that? And that's when your you know culinary creativity and critical thinking comes in. I definitely want to dive into this, man. But before I dive into the, the <laughs> cooking aspect of things, I want to back up just a little bit. You said so you were you were doing the protein bar, trying to you know figure out more mm-hmm. about the actual you know research and everything behind the ketogenic diet, and if it was hold market uh, validity what was the aha moment yeah. for you where you're like oh wow this is the diet that that is for me this is what i'm gonna start doing i mean was it like a specific moment or did you just like the foods that much so i really did like the foods that much but that wasn't what um you know like kind of lit the light bulb above me and like got me um thinking that the diet was a real deal mm-hmm. uh, i was actually running a cafe and restaurant in uh in miami uh it's Florida International University. It's in Miami. Mm-hmm. And one of my baristas, um, she has epilepsy. And uh, she was, you know, constantly missing work because of it. And it was like really bad. She was like one of my best baristas. Um, and she all of a sudden, like kind of was fine for a while. And I asked her what she's been doing differently. And she told me about the ketogenic diet. And I was like, what? I thought that was just for like, you know, fitness and stuff like that. And she told me about like the medical aspects behind it. And um, she told me about how it can have like such a neurological impact. And that got me more thinking about the health and science behind it Mm -hmm. uh, more than just a business idea. So that that's when I started really diving into it, even though I already had the protein bar thing going on the side. And at that point, I was working on recipes Mm -hmm. and I was actually going to use the kitchen 
of that cafe to make my bars. And I think you have to, you know, have some sort of license to do that. So that that's when I really started uh, thinking maybe I should try it out for myself because I have like uh, benign tremors. Mm-hmm. Like they're just like, you know, shaky hands. In other words, completely went away with keto. And I, that's just kind of blew my mind. I've never heard of that, man. Like what, what, what kind of imbalance in the body causes the tremor? I don't know. Like my doctor told me it's no big deal. Like benign means, you know, it's not really a, a actual problem. It's not really going to affect you, but it's just something I've had like all my life. Um, and I've noticed that just recently in the past two years since being keto, that when I'm completely off of carbs, I go away. And it's kind of awesome for me to go away, dude. I can hold a camera steady like yeah. people don't realize how awesome it is to be able to hold a camera steady. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have any tremors and I still can't hold a camera steady. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's a thing, man. Uh, time to get a gimbal, right? <laughs> yeah. I need to get a gimbal, man. We, we can have, we can have a whole podcast on YouTube. Oh uh, my God. YouTube equipment. Yeah. Cause I mean, I can go down that rabbit hole and just, I'll spend hours watching tutorial videos and different ways of doing things, different ways of editing, different equipment again. It's like the, the deeper yeah, you dive. I like whatever camera you're shooting on. It looks nice. I just switched. I, I was shooting on like a super cheap Panasonic Lumix G7. I think you can get it for like 400 bucks. Um, and that's what 90% of my video is on. And then I just recently got the Canon 80D. But I can't get that thing to autofocus, man. What do you shoot with? Uh, I love Canon. Um, so I got Canon M50. Mm-hmm. Uh, 90% of my videos are on an iPhone. Oh, really? Believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the iPhone um, actually looks not too bad. I mean, you can't get any uh, background blur. I think they call that bokeh, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you can't obviously like zoom. It's all digital zoom. So if you just have a like fixed position for what I'm doing, uh, just shooting straight down, it's great. But just recently, I switched to a Canon M50, and that's been a complete game changer for me. A, a mirrorless uh, camera, it's super nice. You know, it's it's this is an interesting turn because I, I like the way this is going. The the reason I actually reached out to you in the first place is because mm-hmm. some I don't know if it was a client of mine or somebody on a YouTube comment. I'm not sure where I heard about you, but somebody was like, because uh, we we do like a keto savage kitchen episode, which is far from <laughs> professional cooking, but. Somebody was recommending awesome, I check dude. your. your I didn't know you cook. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm like I said, I'm a bodybuilder, so I'm not. I don't claim to be a, a cook by any means. I can burn some food to make it edible. Uh, oh yeah, you but go. they they suggested I go check out you because you're doing some really awesome stuff with like the basics. Like a lot of people with YouTube, especially, they overthink and overanalyze, and they're hesitant to jump mm-hmm. in because there's just so many barriers to entry, so to speak, or they they have these perceived yes. barriers barriers to entry, but it's cool to see you killing it with, you know, an iPhone. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's kind of gets down to like the core, like mission statement of my channel, um, which is to teach people how to do the basic stuff first. And I'm, I'm trying to do it subtly without like being the first thing you need to learn is how to make a sauce. The first thing you need to learn is the different cooking methods. You know, I'm trying to do it more subtly by teaching like a different sauce in each video and stuff like that. And that's kind of the goal is um to help people over that barrier mm-hmm. um i don't know about you but like one of the biggest complaints i get is that people don't do the diet because they don't know how to cook on it yeah it's it's interesting man it's the same thing with me in, in training a lot of people don't train because they're afraid they don't know how to do their movement properly and they, they don't go to the gym so intimidating yeah yeah i mean and same thing with youtube like there's so many things that we do throughout a day-to-day basis that people are hesitant to jump into because they they have these this unknown cloud around it, you know? Yeah. Afraid to fail, but um, failing is actually kind of like the best thing that's happened to me. For instance, my protein bar that failed, a lot of people would be like embarrassed by that and stuff like that. But, you know, I got a YouTube channel 
out of it and it's become a passion of mine and it actually makes me so happy. So, you know, failure, if that's what you're worried about, that's the wrong thing to be worried about. Yeah, I could not agree more, man. That's, I don't know, like for me, every every success or every thing that I can look back on in life and actually take pride in was the result of me stepping out of my comfort zone and, and experiencing some degree of failure in some form or fashion, you know? Yeah, it's kind of nice, man. I think uh, uh, Will Smith, something that's kind of stuck with me was Will Smith said that he looks for the thing that he's most afraid of and he goes over, like, that's how he knows what he has to attack next. He's like, all right, what's making me most nervous? I'm going to go after that. 100%. So that's that's kind of something I live by. What about you? Oh, 100%, man. Like, that's, I try to, we can make, make this a, a mindset podcast, but have you heard of uh, uh, stoicism? Like, are you familiar <laughs> with that? Topic. Yeah. Yes, dude. Um, Actually, uh, one of the first YouTubers I met, um, he's a keto guy and uh, he's, what was his name? Um, The Stoic Body, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently he's decided that he doesn't want to be keto anymore. The stoic body. Yeah, the stoic body. So like now he's talking a bunch of hate about keto and stuff like that, but he's still into stoicism. And he's actually one of the first YouTubers that gave me like encouragement, like, hey dude, um, you know, you got a thousand subscribers, just keep pumping out videos, just keep going. Um, and uh, yeah, Phil Gazelbash, I believe was his name. Gotcha, I'll, I'll check um, him out. And stoicism is something that I definitely subscribe to. Yeah, it's a... Uh... For me, like I, I recommend this on my podcast before, but there's a there's a book, an audio book. I listen to it on audio. It's, it's an actual book too. But the obstacle is the way is a stoic book by Ryan Holiday, and highly, highly, highly encourage you to read that man. Listen to it. It's like what was, what was the name again? I'm literally writing. It the down. obstacle is the way. Um, okay. I read that he was recommended by Tim Ferriss, Ryan Holiday, and Tim Ferriss are close friends. Mm-hmm. But I listened to his book during one of my competition preps, and it literally. Point Blake changed the way I think about almost every decision I make in life. And that there's there's no oh, other nice single that. thing that's impacted me that much. Um, so I recommend that book more more than no any other way. book. So highly encourage that one. Absolutely. Um, you said Tim Ferriss was one of the publishers on it. Uh, so Ryan Holiday is the author. Tim Ferriss actually read mm-hmm. the uh, the preface in the auto audiobook. Oh, okay. You uh you like using audiobooks? Oh yeah, man. See, like for me, I uh I don't have a whole lot of time to just flip through pages of a book, but I have like a lot of time, you know, driving or, you know, doing cardio in which I'll just listen to a book and I can get through a lot more books that way. Dude, I'm waiting for audible.com to hit me up with a sponsorship because I use them all the time. (laughs) Oh yeah, man. I I go, I go, I go through books like crazy. And and to me, like reading seems to be something that our generation and younger generations don't do as much. But if you can, at least bridge that gap by listening to it because we do listen to podcasts a lot, you know. So if we can bridge that gap with the audiobook, right. it's like it's the next best thing for sure. Absolutely, man. I uh, definitely am on the half that uh, doesn't like to read. Like I love, I crave knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, just to sit down and read for me is just such a problem. And I think that just you know gets back into like you know my ADD and like not being able to sit still and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, reading like sitting. For hours on end and then flipping through a book, I mean, it's, I don't know, like, I, I'm definitely a busy body, you know, entrepreneurial type A personality. So for me to sit like that is just almost like, yeah, I can't do it, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, you strike me as the type of person that if they're not moving, they're going backwards. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so I'm curious, man, I just want to, I want to really just flesh out cooking. Like, I want to talk about the nuances that people don't even think about because, and like I said, it's yes, an art, let's do you it. know? So with with cooking... Let's just bring it back to the basics, man. Like you said, a lot of people don't do keto because they're afraid of not knowing how to prepare the dishes in a way that are keto friendly. Mm-hmm. So 
you as the chef, what would you describe as keto friendly and how would you go about bringing things back to basics to prepare such meals? So uh, people know uh, proteins, right? Like they know, okay, I got a steak, you know, I got chicken breast, I got stuff like that. Everyone knows how to cook that. Mm -hmm. Um, So bringing it back to basics, um, I always, um, I actually, I coach a few people in cooking and stuff like that, uh, just one-on-one. And I always uh, stress that you got to learn how to make that sauce first. So learn how to make a really tasty fatty sauce. Um, and then the protein itself doesn't really matter because what makes the protein awesome is the sauce you're putting on it. Um, as a bodybuilder, I'm sure you're aware that it's those pre-made seasonings and you know, sauces that come in clutch for you, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It makes, makes, makes yeah. eating more fun for sure. Yeah. And so if you can learn how to make those, um, you're on a good start. So for the people that are really uh, nervous about just the cooking aspect of keto, um, if you can learn a demi-glaze um, pan sauce, like I'll highlight that and underline it bold, um, an aioli and a vinaigrette. Um, those are like the sauce methods that I think you have to know if you're going to be successful in keto. And then you can go on to the cooking methods and then you can go on to ingredients last. And I think that's a mistake that people make is they look at you know, the quality ingredients first. Oh, I'm going to get organic and stuff like that. Now you got to learn your sauces first, then your cooking methods. And there's a ton of them. And then you can get down to like, you know, getting your quality ingredients sourced from wherever. So, so you, with the, with regard to the sauces, you said there was three or four mm-hmm. different uh, types. That you uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, sauces out there. I mean, you have like the mother sauces, but um, a lot of them aren't keto, like uh, a roux. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, are you familiar with that? Yeah. 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 So roux is like flour and butter. Um, that's a base of just so many French sauces. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw that out the door because you can't make it with almond flour. You can't make it with any keto approved flour. Um, so then you got to learn other stuff like a demi glaze and a pan sauce. Uh, demi glaze is uh, demi. So 100, so it's reduced by hundred and you can pretty much make a demi glaze out of anything. Um, wine is probably one of the only ones i wouldn't recommend doing it with but if you just have a big pot of stock and you reduce it down by a hundred what you're left with at the bottom of the pan is just this super bold tasty sauce that you literally didn't have to do anything to except just reduce it down and you accomplish that by just kind of simmering it until it mostly evaporates yes yeah 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 Yeah. catch me if i'm using any like um words that people want to know but yeah so reducing is just literally letting it boil off gotcha and that's that's the the demi glaze yeah. so any any liquid really Correct. that you reduce creates some some yeah. form of demi glaze yeah so if you're um you know you're cooking your thanksgiving turkey right and you got all those turkey bones and you make a stock out of it mm-hmm. uh the next few days if you know you have no idea what to do with all this stock and you got like a big you know a couple cups of it go ahead throw it on a pan and just reduce it down and uh you know, if you take a little slices of steak and dip that into there, some mushrooms, oh my God. Pretty good. Oh, so good, man. And uh, most important though, I think is a pan sauce for people to learn. And what what is that exactly? So if you um, cook anything on a pan sauteed, mm-hmm. uh, the, the pan is going to have fawn on it. Fawn? And that's, yeah, it's, that's, that's the crispy bits. Gotcha. Uh, that's left on the, the pan. Um, and a lot of people... Uh, hate that and they you know scrape it away while they're cleaning their pan but um somebody who 
is experienced in the kitchen is going to look at that and be like, oh, that's going to be a good sauce right there. Gotcha. So you, what do you add to that to make it into a sauce? So you got to deglaze it. And deglazing is you take some sort of acid, uh, you know, red wine works, uh, water, if you have nothing else, stock. Uh, you get that pan hot while, um, you know, your pro- you take your protein out of the pan, it's resting on the side, your pan's still hot, and then you throw in some water or a few spoonfuls of vinegar, and that just lifts up all the little brown pieces on there. And now you're left with a nice, like, dark, um, thick sauce, and you can just season from there. So I add some salt, some pepper, um, and then you just use a rubber spatula to really get all the little bits and pieces off of there. And that's going to be the simplest sauce that you can probably make five minutes after your protein's been rested. So if you, if you know how to make a pan sauce, you're going to be set for every single breakfast and lunch that you make. And it's also going to help you clean your pans faster too, because you end up with like a sparkly clean pan and a delicious sauce. What, what kind of pans do you generally cook with? I'm curious. I use cast iron myself usually. Oh man, I love cast iron. Um, it just holds the heat so well mm-hmm. and it does such a good job searing. But um, I can't really make a good pan sauce with those because you're usually worried about something really acidic like vinegar or lemon juice, which is necessary to deglaze a pan and get the fond off the bottom. Mm-hmm. If, if I did that in a cast iron, I would be lifting up all the, um, the seasoning that I've been working on. And, right, right. Uh, you know how you got to take care of those, right? Yeah, for sure. If for anybody listening, um, you can't it, use soap it, on a cast iron skillet. Oh my gosh, it breaks my heart when I see people <laughs> use soap on a cast iron. I'm no chef, but I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, uh, so I, I prefer stainless steel. If I'm you know really trying to make a beautiful dish, I'm going to use stainless steel. And I got a nice uh, Cuisinart set of pans. Um, I threw away my Teflon pan. Mm-hmm. Um, all those ads... Or as seen on TV pans, um, I used to fall for it. Uh, I, just, I just throw them away now if I get them as a gift or if someone sends it to me through my YouTube channel. I just, I got stainless steel and a cast iron, man. And that's that's about it. Can't go wrong. So what about, uh, so that, that that covers your two primary sauces, right? The the demi-glaze and the pan sear or the pan sauce? Well, honestly, I say there's, I say there's four um, actually. Um, and I hope I'm not boring anyone with these sauces. No, but... man, this, this, is, this is fascinating to me. <laughs> okay, good, dude. I'm glad to hear it because this is what I'm passionate about. We got uh, aioli and a vinaigrette are the next two that I think everybody should know. How do you make uh, those? Aioli. Aioli is like mayonnaise. You just add in a fat, like a, like a saturated fat, basically. Yeah. So I, I like to use egg yolks as a base. Um, egg yolks, and this could be made really simply. Uh, you could just take um, like a ramekin, like a small bowl crack some egg yolks in there, add some garlic powder, salt and pepper, and now you have a garlic aioli. Gotcha. You just kind of blend that up? Yeah. Just kind of mix it with a fork. A lot of people are thrown off by eating a raw egg yolk, but if you're going to a restaurant um, and they say they have an aioli, I'll I'll put a little caveat to that. Um, If you're going to a nice restaurant and they say they have an aioli, they're probably making it with raw egg yolks. Uh, whereas a lot of other restaurants um, and like, you know, casual places like Chipotle will make an aioli with uh, you know, Hanes uh, mayonnaise. So they'll take like a scoop of white mayonnaise and they'll mix their flavors into that. And that'll be what they call aioli. But like a proper aioli and something that if you're keto, you should be eating is you shouldn't be afraid of eating raw egg yolks. You know, just add some salt, some uh, some citrus in there and, and you'll be fine. So it's just simply um, a couple of raw egg yolks, some seasoning and like a squeeze of lemon juice or something, mix that up and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I add the lemon juice, maybe even like a pinch of cayenne pepper, just kind of wake up the flavor because it is really fatty. 
Um, and last thing you're going to want to do is kind of like add some texture with some olive oil. So you just kind of spin up some olive oil until you get the texture that you want. Um, and then if you're going to make like some keto sushi rolls or something like that, a nice spicy aioli sauce is bomb. Um, hollandaise, for instance, is an example of a, a aioli sauce. Oh, you, you know, you've had a hollandaise on eggs Benedict, right? Yeah. Yeah. I put it on my asparagus a lot. Oh, dude, that's so good. Yo, we're kind of getting me hungry just talking about all this. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, and vinaigrette's the easiest sauce to make. It's, uh, you know, just some sort of, um, acid like lemon juice or apple cider vinegar and then uh oil lemon juice apple cider vinegar and and oil and you just is it like equal parts of, of all those or yeah it's usually equal parts um now you can get really fancy like i think last night um i made uh, a lemon vinaigrette with macadamia nut oil that was that was really good and i, I just dress a salad with that pretty much anytime you have something like really fatty um and like the only thing that you're getting on your palate when you're eating this dish is fat like if it's completely covering your palate you're going to want to add like a vinaigrette or something acidic even like uh, some keto approved pickles would do, would do the trick there do you I'm, I'm curious do you take any kind of um like do you make any calculations as to what the macros on these sauces wind up breaking down to or do you pretty much eat instinctively and just go with it. Oh man, I'm so glad you asked. Actually, that was something I wanted to ask you about because um, there's a bit of controversy on my channel right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's because I don't include the macros in my recipes. Mm -hmm. um, I am firmly on the side of uh, not tracking macros, and uh, you know, looking at your website and stuff like that, you strike me as a person that's tracking their macros, mm -hmm. and you're obviously making it uh, sustainable, which is one of the reasons why I don't um like how do you uh do it so that it's sustainable like do you just memorize everything and that's how it's easier for you or so that, that's a really really great question um let me back up just a little bit so the ketogenic diet in itself yeah. i find to be the best diet for eating instinctively on um you you have a mm. much better relationship with what your mind and body actually need when you're consuming food so you are less likely to overconsume, which I had a huge problem with before I started keto. I could never eat instinctively prior to keto, but with keto, I, I could get away with yeah. it instinctively pretty easily. Um, I track everything, especially when I'm in a contest prep, because I, I take such a scientific mm -hmm. measured approach to the four and a half, five months that I am prepping for a competition and everything was accounted for. Um, but in, in everyday to day life, you know, if you're not training for a specific event, I don't see a reason, especially if you've, you're you happy with where you're at, what cool. your composition is. If there's a specific goal mm -hmm. that you're trying to obtain, then I would recommend dialing things in a little bit more fine-tuned and tracking those macros. Um, yeah. But as far as making it sustainable, what I like to do, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have near the <laughs> repertoire of food variety that you do. I mean, I eat very – I'm yeah, content yeah. eating pretty much the same thing every day. Um, so it makes tracking easy. I pretty much just plug in my macros for the week, whatever that may be, and then pretty much eat the same thing. Using uh, MyFitnessPal? I, I use one called My Macros Plus. I, I've used MyFitnessPal, but I like this one a little bit more. Okay. It's got a little bit more customization features. Um, actually, man, this this is something that you might find benefit to as a, as a chef. Yeah. Mac, my Macros Plus, one of the things I like about it is you can make a recipe and then like, so say you're making a chili, for instance, and you plug in all of the, the ingredients in that chili into my macros plus and then you make it a recipe mm. and then you weigh out what that entire 
uh, you know, portion size of chili is. And then when you subdivide that into an actual serving size, it automatically calculates the mm-hmm. macros for you. So I don't think my fitness pal does that, Ooh. but that could be a benefit to you if you were going if you were going to start including the macros. Ooh, you know, that would make it so easy just to kind of copy and paste that into you know, the description. Yeah. I mean, you can just screenshot from your phone basically and put that in the show notes. Cause I get, Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I get every single video. Somebody hits me up or uh, DMS me on Instagram or something like that. And they're like, Hey, I really liked your cookie recipe. What are the macros on it? And I got <laughs> like, I don't have anything to like cut and paste as a response, but pretty much it's the same response. I always tell them that, you know, I personally don't track macros mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, I don't recommend it to people. Um, unless they're uh, doing keto for medical reasons, like somebody who's you know really diabetic and it's actually going to be dangerous if they don't eat correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like a lifestyle, I don't recommend it. It's just, oh my gosh. I just like, I, I'm sure that there's much, there's people much smarter than me out there. But when I look at a um, carb from like a legume and I compare it to like a carb from like a sugar, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, there's no way those two carbs are the same. Like those two individual units of carbs on a molecular level and like body chemistry level. So I just personally think that I don't like to limit my menu and like limit my recipe just because I'm, I'm worried about the carbs. So um, I, I definitely play it off of how I feel, which is something that frustrates a lot of people. No, I, I totally um, respect that, man. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, you're obviously not overweight. You look healthy. You look like you're you know, mm-hmm. doing everything right. So, I mean, there's no reason why I would do anything different than what you're doing. Um, I mean, I, I think like keto as a diet is incredibly sustainable, con- contrary to, you know, popular belief from the keto naysayers that say that you can't have a, you know, very carb excluded oh, yeah. diet. Here we go. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, keto <laughs> itself, I mean, I've been doing it strictly for four or five years now. I haven't cheated on carbs once the entire duration. Um, and I'm happy with that. Like, I, I don't even feel like I'm sick. For how long? Like, uh, four or five years now. Um, Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and for me, it's just it's just as much part of the day as, you know, brushing my teeth is. Like, it's just normal. Like, that's my new norm. Mm-hmm. Um, just as tracking macros and having some kind of degree of where I'm at there is is normal for me. Um, everybody's perspective well, changes. You're, you're also doing it to, like, a scientific level where, uh, you know, your results is kind of like, um, your career is kind of based on it. So I, I don't blame you at all for doing that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So whatever, whatever one individual finds is as enjoyable and sustainable, that's going to be different for everybody. But, you know, I think we can, I think you and I think can definitely agree that it's, it's sustainable from a, you know, a dieting approach, a lifestyle approach. Um, especially when you're having fun with the foods and the foods are all tasty. Oh my gosh. The keto diet is so tasty. I can't, I, I can't see any reason for somebody uh, not to do it as far as like, um, you know, a taste and restrictive food goes. I mean, you get people who are super addicted to carbs and stuff like that. And once you get over that hurdle, you're you're set for life. Totally agree. But it's, it's that uh, sugar addiction, dude. That is a hard one to kick. I don't know if you had one, but I did. That was hard. What do you, th- this this is a good good segue. What, what do you think about all of the, um, like the carb lookalike keto recipe meals and stuff. Like a lot of people use those as stepping stones to kind of transition into the keto diet, mm-hmm. which in that regard, I think, you know, it is great. Like if it's going to help you make the transition that much more smoothly, more power to you. Um, but there's, there's mm-hmm. a ton 
of you know carb lookalike meals that are not really using optimal ingredients. They're just you know technically keto friendly, mm-hmm. but they're not really you know bodily friendly. I guess it's always kind of I don't know, kind of befuddled me when I see uh, those recipes out there. It reminds me of like the vegans who are making uh, lookalike meat products. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, if you're gonna be vegan. Why are you trying to make it look like me? Yeah, you know, yeah. if you're going to be keto, why are you trying to make it look like a donut? <laughs> so that's kind of always, you know, I kind of just shook my head always at that. But as you mentioned, um, people who are transferring into the diet might need something that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Thomas, Thomas DeLauer, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, his YouTube channel, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he talks about how sometimes that, uh, just the sweetness in your mouth can trigger an insulin response. Mm-hmm. So lately, I'm kind of worried about doing it for people who are just starting, even though it's a nice crutch, if you'll if you'll call it that. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know what it. What do you think? I think um, you know, there's so many different sweeteners out there, so many artificial sweeteners, so many natural sweeteners, but still sweet enough to elicit an insulin response. And for me, I don't know, man. Like I. I was one of the people that that was making a bunch of like keto cheesecakes and all these, you know, lookalike meals uh, when I first transitioned. But the more I learned about the diet and the more I, you know, could could recognize the difference in how I performed by removing those, the more motivated I was to remove them. Um, and, and now I'm to the point where I, I don't I don't use those at all. I don't really crave them at all. Um, you know, once in a blue mm-hmm. moon, like for Christmas or something, we might make like a like a keto cookie or a keto cheesecake, but it's definitely not not an everyday yeah. occurrence. Well, they're hard too. They're hard to make, and they're hard to make taste good. They're also really easy to dry out, and the sweeteners never taste the same. So it's I, I've literally never ran into um, a lookalike mm-hmm. keto recipe that actually tastes good. I'll be honest with you. Like I made a lot a lot of like cooking recipes on my channel that are those lookalike things, and that's the best I can do. But when it comes to uh, an actual keto recipe. I'm always going back to what we were talking about about 10 minutes ago with the sauce method um, and like learning how to cook your proteins and stuff like that. But people people want it and they request it on my channel. So I'm probably always going to cook those lookalike recipes mm-hmm. um, just because they're so popular. Well, what are, what are some of your go-tos, like your personal favorites with regard to like the meats? Like we got the sauces covered now. Now that you got the sauces, what, what's the next yeah. thing? What's uh What's your workflow? What's your what you're putting that sauce on top of? Number one uh, meat for me is duck. Duck and uh, that yeah, duck dude. It could be uh, pretty intimidating because people think of duck and they think of like French cooking and stuff like that. But duck, it's a fatty bird, and uh, if you if you've got a few cooking methods uh, nailed down, like uh, sous vide or confit, then you can cook a duck easily you're not going to worry about overcooking it or anything like that um it's definitely one of the higher levels or higher degrees of uh, difficulty Mm -hmm. just because duck is so easy to overcook um what was that pretty much any confit oh confit yeah oh what is that yeah confit so that's cooking in fat literally you know poaching like you poach an egg Mm -hmm. um so it's the same thing as poaching but the liquid that you're cooking this protein in is fat like deep frying almost uh duck fat it's like deep frying but at a lower temperature for instance if you uh if you want like a medium uh piece of fish i think it's going to be 130 degrees Mm -hmm. uh for a piece of salmon 
Or no, you know, it's going to be, let's use steak as an example. I'm pretty familiar with that. Um, a medium rare steak is going to be 135 degrees Fahrenheit. If you get your uh, pot of oil to 135 degrees Fahrenheit and you let your steak cook in there, it's not going to overcook. It's going to absorb all this fat and uh, being on a keto diet, if you're cooking something confit, it's going to be delicious. So what, um, you got my interest now, man, because I, I love... I, I love deep frying things, but in most of the deep fryers out there, they use like peanut oil, which obviously isn't optimal. So I've been using like coconut oil. Um, what do you recommend using? Mm, interesting. Uh, I always go with a really high temperature. Like avocado fat. oil? Exactly. Uh, problem with avocado oil is it doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. I uh, Ghee. Dude, if, I, if I'm going to be honest, I use just jars and jars of ghee. So what is your setup if you're wanting to like – Con is it confit? That's it. Yes, C O N F I. If you're cooking it like that confit, and you're cooking a steak, are you using like a there's like an open face skillet over a like a flame at this? Like how, it, how's that it set just up? Just has to be submerged. Yeah, it's just got to be submerged. So if the uh, the cooking liquid is only like halfway or three quarters up that's actually called braising you know if you have a little bit of that protein sticking out and we're all familiar with braising Mm -hmm. if it's that fat is completely covering it it's confit um duck fat is my favorite thing to cook anything confit in and if you've had um you know asparagus or something cooked confit and duck fat it's going to change your world i uh i got turned on to duck fat i get that i think it's fat works is the brand i believe i got um Oh, man. This stuff is I'm taking so many good notes from this. This is awesome. Oh yeah, Fatworks is so good, man. Like I got it. I think I got it at like a Ozark Natural Grocers or something. But it's um like the the flavor of the fat itself is so good that I don't even cook with it. I literally just use it as a topping. Like I'll get a tablespoon of that and just put it on top of whatever I'm eating because it just tastes that good. Yes, absolutely, man. Um, uh, French fries is like a really common thing to cook in duck fat. They've been doing that for a long time. Obviously, we can't have that. But if you're gonna be uh, Making yourself some uh, jicama fries, mm-hmm. um, you know, keto them. Then uh, duck fat is definitely something that they should look at. Uh, fat works. I just looked it up, man. They got all kinds of stuff. They got goose fat, wild boar lard. Oh, that's good stuff, man. It's pretty cool. They got good stuff. What about the the sous vide? So I actually have a jewel sous vide uh, keto connect. How's that working for you? Good, good. Keto connect hooked me up. They got me one, and I've been playing around with it. And it's it's I use it mostly for steaks. Um, but I, uh, I, I, my only problem with the steaks, man, is I'll, I'll cook my steak in there and, you know, it'll be like the perfect medium rare all the way through, but nothing compares to the char that you get when you throw it on a charcoal grill. So like I'll use a cast iron skillet, but inevitably what winds up happening is I have to get my grill going to, to sear it on that. So I wind up cooking it sous vide, but still getting my charcoals going. So I'm kind of wasting time. I'm com- contemplating getting one of those sears alls have you ever used those yeah oh yeah like a blowtorch mm-hmm. yes dude um the blowtorch is kind of key if you're going to be having a sous vide in your kitchen because you're going to overcook that steak put it back on a heat source like a grill or something like that so they get the sears off for sure worth the money yeah honestly go to home depot man and uh get a blowtorch from home depot <laughs> <Can't go wrong. laughs> i'm not kidding yeah no nah, dude yeah go to home depot get a blowtorch that's what i use and uh uh, people will be like, oh, that's not food grade propane and stuff like that. But um, if you're going to be getting a creme brulee in a restaurant, I guarantee you that the gas they're using is from like Home Depot or something like that or Ace Hardware. Um, everybody uses it. And uh, 
uh, sous vide is like one of those really old, old French cooking methods that have been around a long time and just recently got popular with uh, uh, Chef Steps. Mm-hmm. Um, was I think the first one to use the jewel. It's interesting um, now. I use an ANOVA personally. ANOVA. Everybody now is, is, or not everybody, but a lot of people, I don't know if you've heard or familiar with the whole um, you know, debate between like plastics and the estrogens and the plastics and they're concerned about using the sous vide, like the Ziploc bag. Um, so I went and got me like some of the zil- the silicone bags and I've been using those, but uh, it's just like you can't get yeah, away from I mean, plastic. you, you, per- yeah, you got to be worried about that though. I mean, like if you're, you're probably very concerned about like your T levels and stuff like that. So I wouldn't even mess around with that if I were you. But Yeah. So I got those silicone I just get name brand. I, I like the sous vide. It uh, it makes it makes cooking easy. I, I love that you can just you know throw it in there, then turn it on, and then come back in an hour, hour and twenty minutes, whatever you have your setting to, and then you're good to go. Yeah, it's it's kind of like confit, but I mean you're using water, of course, and you're never going to overcook something mm-hmm. um, because like your water level isn't above the temperature that you want to cook your protein at. Um, do you do vegetables in there? I've never I've never done anything except uh, I did steak. I've done Shoot, man, I think I'm honestly done. I've done eggs. I've done steak and eggs with it. Fish, fish is probably if I was to pick a uh, a cooking method for each protein, uh, fish would be uh, for sous vide 100 because it's so easy to overcook fish, and um, you really just need a very delicate uh, source of heat, or else you're going to end up with just like a flaky mess, mm-hmm. or worst case, like a stringy mess if you really overcook it. Um, and sous vide. Uh, the recipe that I made last night with the vinaigrette I was telling you about earlier, mm-hmm. um, I actually took some striped bass um, and I did a combination of confit and sous vide. So I took a, a fillet of striped bass, filled it a plastic bag up with uh, macadamia nut oil and olive oil blend. I added some lemon slices, um, some herbs, salt, and pepper. And I cooked this fish fillet in oil in a sous vide bath like some cooking inception going on it sounds delicious man dude it was so good like ah, i wish i took a picture of it um but that's that's how we're doing it every night here that's how me and my girlfriend cook uh, but it sounds complicated and a lot of people might be rolling their eyes and being like i'm never going to do that but here's the thing is i put those four ingredients into a ziploc bag and i went to the gym with no set time to come back so i just came back whenever i wanted to come back and I, knowing that like my protein isn't going to overcook so that method, although it sounds intimidating, is actually a time saver and made it super easy. Yeah, and see that that's the beauty of it. Like you don't have to I mean, I love I love cooking in which I don't have to worry about it overcooking. Because then I, I can just leave and come back whenever it's convenient for me, which makes life easier. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that with a grill, man. If I put that fish on a grill and then walked away and <laughs> went to the gym. Yeah, I come back to a fire. Man, I do that all the time. I'll I'll put my food on a grill and then I'll go inside and I'll check emails for like fifteen minutes and before you know it it's I can go back out, totally forgot, and then I've got a black and charred piece of you know, nothing worth eating on my grill. Uh, yeah, man. I think um I think the next thing that I would probably recommend to your viewers unless they don't already know is a, a pressure cooker, dude. That's something I've recently gotten into and that's that's been a game changer for me. I was going to ask you about the Instant Pot. I've got the Instant Pot um, and I've been playing around with yeah, that. Yeah, me too. And I, 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 like I said, I don't know, I don't do anything extravagant, but for, for fish, talking about fish, the, the thing I like about that is I'll oftentimes forget to thaw my meat the night before. So I'll have a freezer full of like salmon fillets and then they're just frozen and you can stick 
well, what I've been doing, this is probably butchering it, but I'll get like the salmon fillets, stick it in the, the instant pot, um, drip some like olive oil and everything on top of it, and then hit it on there for the five minute manual and let it do the natural uh, depressurizing for five minutes. Then bam, I've got frozen fillets to cooked fillets in 10 minutes. Easy, right? Yeah, it's hard to beat. Hey, super easy. Um, personally, I consider that an overcooked piece of fish just because if you're going to get that kind of pressure, um, it's overcooked. But as far as convenience goes, you can't beat that. So I, I shouldn't do five minutes. I should do like three minutes. Well, or just the pressure. In I general. mean, like if you're gonna be if you're gonna be serving it to um, you know some foodies who are gonna <laughs> know what they're doing. really <laughs> take apart your salmon, yeah, because <laughs> salmon salmon is kind of like uh, like wine. Like there's salmon snobs out there. Like people will like open up their salmon before even taking a bite to see if it's cooked medium or not. And um, it's one of those fish that uh, could be cooked a little bit raw in the center, and that's not something you can get with an Instapot. Mm-hmm. I can see it being super convenient when you have that conundrum of, uh, oh, shit, I only have 15 minutes to eat, and my salmon fillets are, are uh, frozen solid. What about, uh, I mean, with regard to other cooking techniques, so you got you got the Instapot, you got the sous vide. Do you have any other go-to favorites? Um, Raw. So it's not cooking, but I love eating raw food. And you want to talk about simple, man. Like you just get like a quality ingredient. Uh, my favorite raw food at this time is uh, ceviche. What was that? I love fish. Ceviche. Mm-hmm. Um, so ceviche is just, uh, there's a bunch of different ceviche recipes out there. There's like Mexican, uh, pr- like Peruvian style ceviche, which is my favorite. And that's where you just take like Corvina or any type of white fish, chop it up. And the actual cooking that's being done is with uh, like a chemical cooking where you're using an acid like lime juice. Ah. And uh, currently that's probably my favorite recipe because I can make it in five minutes. It takes uh, like four ingredients. So you get your fish, red onion, salt, pepper, and lime juice. Oh, so it's kind of like a cold, cold salad almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can get crazy with it. Like I'll uh, puree up uh, avocado and, you know, different types of citrus. And I'll make like a nice uh, green thick sauce or maybe even like take a few wedges of uh, blood orange. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful because it does have some carbs in it. And uh, just, you know, uh, squeeze that in there for color. And uh, that's, I mean, although it's not technically cooking because you're just using like citrus and salt to make it safe to eat. Um, it's in my opinion, one of the best ways to appreciate a really good cut of fresh fish. And for some people it's not something that you can do. Um, pretty sure you might be able to relate to this, uh, not living right next to the ocean, the fish that you're getting is, uh, then frozen and stuff like that. And maybe you don't want to eat something that's been sitting in a, you know, a freezer truck for a day. Right. You're coastal then I take it. Yeah. I'm right on the coast of San Diego. Man, I'm at a huge disadvantage here because my fiance, hates seafood so we never eat seafood <laughs> but i love seafood so we, we're pretty much eating the same thing on a day-to-day basis but i need to to find ways to make cooking simple so she can eat whatever she wants and i can find some way to incorporate what seafood. about uh what about just like um like a fried fish of some sort she, she about that man she she's weird like she's awesome obviously but she she does not like mm-hmm. any kind of seafood at all like i have not been able to find anything that she she like and she used to live uh Right there in, in California, she lived in Oregon on the coast. I mean, she's been in some coastal areas oh, cool. where they would serve quality seafood. Um, but I don't know. She, she, she's a lost cause when it yeah. comes to seafood, man. <laughs> I, yeah, 
I run into some people who just like, you know, do not like a certain type of protein just because they may have had a bad experience about it. Mm-hmm. Something like that. You know, I was, uh, uh, for the longest time, I just hated chicken. Really? Hated it. Oh my God. And like, it's everywhere, right? Like if you ever go to a, a banquet event or someone's wedding or something like that, of course they're serving chicken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was because I had never had a piece of chicken that was actually properly cooked. Everything I've had has been overcooked and dry and uh, completely lacking in fat. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the uh, stereotypical bodybuilder meal. Yeah, yeah, it's the worst worst idea of chicken (laughs) breast. I mean, that that is 100% what I did for the first several years of my bodybuilding career, man. I got burnt out on it. (laughs) Steamed broccoli and uh, chicken, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, how do you do your chicken now? Um, so I will, uh, I, I like doing a confit. I like trying to add as much fat as I can. Um, I like braising it, uh, probably my favorite chicken recipe at the moment. And like I said, I just got an Instapot is to take a whole chicken, mm-hmm. you know, stuff it with whatever, whatever vegetable, um, uh, put a nice bed of, uh, mirepoix, which is, uh, carry celeries and onion on the bed of that Instapot, set the chicken right on top, salt, pepper, add a little butter drizzle some olive oil on there and uh, just let it fall right off the bone. Uh, use the bones themselves to make a stock afterwards and then uh, uh, make a demi-glaze from that. You know, just kind of tying back to what we first started talking about. You're utilizing all those ingredients and then now you have like this these Tupperware containers of shreddable, delicious chicken and these little containers of a nice demi-glaze sauce, and you've got your meals for a week. And all of these are on your, your YouTube channel, right? All these recipes? Uh, yeah, all these recipes. I got about 82, 83 videos now. Um, I definitely want to uh, do the one that I just mentioned, which is um, you know the chicken in the Instapot. Um, I'm still you know working on some recipe ideas for the Instapot itself. Um, but I do have a stock video. I think, um, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, a a stock is definitely something everyone should know how to do. I'm curious, man, since you're making these videos, do you ever find yourself like, like you have to, you know, make these things look all nice or ornate for the video and you're, you're putting all this effort into it Mm -hmm. when you're not filming, you're just doing your day to day. Like, do you still get extravagant and go all in on this cooking (laughs) or do you just keep it super simple? I do. You do? I do, man. Like, yeah, you should see my breakfast this morning. Like I, uh, I took like red cabbage and I did like a quick pickle with it, shaved it super thin. Uh, quick pickles where you just take like a, a vinegar and you kind of just heat up a vegetable and, and vinegar real quick. And I added some acid to a nice um, a few fried eggs on top of some uh, pork belly that I've been curing. And like I said, man, it's, it's a passion. So even when I'm not, you know, on camera, I'm still practicing recipes and you know, it dates back to when I was a little kid, like first trying to like make my own flavor crackers. Um, it's just still blows my mind every time I can come up with a new uh, flavor combination or, um, you know, fix some sort of kitchen conundrum that I have like too many of this ingredient, too many of that ingredient. So it's, it's a, it's a passion. That's good, man. I mean, that's how you know you're in it for the right reason and you're doing it because you truly love it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think I'll ever work in an actual like kitchen, even though I have before, but as a career, man, it's, it's a rough life, mm-hmm. um, passion. And, uh, you know, maybe one day somebody will have a, uh, the foresight to open up a keto kitchen and they'll ask me to be a chef there. And I would totally do that. But, you know, as far as working in a kitchen, man, I just don't want to be, uh, you know, dipping French fries and, yeah. and stuff like that. For sure. For sure. 
Um, yeah. what, what about the, I'm looking here, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the things we've talked about so far. Is there like a, a reference or someplace to go to find the temperatures for this confit? Like if I'm looking at all the different foods I would want to prepare with this method, is there like a, a place where I can go to find the temperatures at, you know, for the certain food at the certain well doneness? Yeah. So there's, um, I think it's called Science of Confit Cooking. Um, is a good, uh, good resource. Um, let me think, where do I get my temperatures? I think, you know, mostly there's probably an app it now. so much on the ingredients that, uh, yeah, I usually just end up Googling it. Um, chef steps I know has a lot of, uh, good, uh, temperature charts that are like really like visually appealing. Um, they, they mainly focus on sous vide. Mm-hmm. I know on their channel, uh, but chef steps is actually one of the first, websites that i learned how to like properly cook um i was definitely consulting and like looking up uh stuff on their websites um but yeah it sounds like you're interested in confit man are you gonna try it out yeah for sure where, where have you gone like to just pick up on all these like all this vocabulary man like i've legit learned 10 words in this in this hour-long conversation <laughs> youtubing <laughs> like no lie dude like i, I just youtube chef steps sous vide steak and uh that that's if, if someone's not gonna go to school for cooking, just YouTube it. I learned so much. I learned so much on YouTube, dude. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so so I mean with YouTube, man, like I've learned a lot of the the basic premise for a lot of things I do. I mean, I learned how to like work on a vehicle on YouTube, learn how to most most everything. But from like a, a cooking perspective, um you, you kind of mentioned, you know, like going with the sauces, then going with the meats. And then kind of going from there, I got, I got a, like a, I want to wrap this up with like a challenge almost, not, not so much a challenge, but like an encouragement. Like if you, if, if people are listening to this and they want to just do something that they didn't think that their own two hands could do, like they're not confident in their ability to cook, what is something that you would challenge them to, to make that they could definitely make without really any preparation, but afterwards when they taste it, it would be something that actually impresses them. All right. So, um, next time you got the fawn in a pan, and if you're listening earlier, you should know it's the little crispy bits at the bottom of your pan. Uh, get some apple cider vinegar while the pan's hot. Uh, dump it on there. Get all those pieces off the bottom of the pan. Really stir it up with a rubber spatula. Add some pieces of butter in there, some salt and some pepper, and then pour that on whatever you just cooked in your pan, whether it's fish or steak or chicken or whatever. Just try that. You're going to have a clean pan. You're going to have a dope sauce. And now number two, um, go to the store, buy a uh, carton of stock and make that demi-glaze. Just reduce it down by like 90% all the way down, 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 down. Once again, just salt, pepper. If you want to get fancy with it, put in some seasonings and then use that as a sauce. And then tell me that isn't the most delicious thing you've ever had. That's that's fascinating to me, man. Like most people, I would think would would, would mm-hmm. assume you would would talk about a specific type of meat or a way to prepare that meat. But you you both both instances you defaulted to the sauce. So I think the the sauce is is the the way to go. The what what's emphasized? You have a good sauce, and you're you're going to be able to eat it. It's going to taste delicious. <laughs> awesome, I love it. There's like for me, I mean. I, like we were talking about previously, I, I keep yeah, things sure. super incredibly simple and I'm the farthest thing from a professional chef, but it's <laughs> it's cool to talk with you who knows what you're talking about and 
can can make these ornate dishes, yes. but you you make it seem relatively simple to do so. And I mean, anything can be learned. I think so many people they they either feel like they have to keep things ultra simple or just you know, not even do it. And here you are, kind of bridging that gap. Hey, that's the point of my YouTube channel. You know, I just you know I'm trying to do it in a way that I'm not like making it seem like they're in school or listening to someone talk for 20 minutes. You know, just uh, hey, here's a two minute video on how to make a sauce for your you know, whatever protein. I love it. I love it. Well, Robert, man, where, where can people go to find out do you do YouTube channel and, and, and watch and learn and, and see you in action? Yeah, absolutely. So I just got my YouTube channel, the keto chef. Um, if you just type that into the search bar, I'll be popping up there. You'll probably see my cookie recipe or my chocolate bar recipe and, uh, make sure you give me a subscription and, uh, and a like, and I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. I will definitely link out to that. People can find you and, I'm liable to hit you up with any questions related to uh, sous vide and one more, one more time. How do I pronounce the other one where I'm cooking it in fat? Confit. Confit. All right. I'm a- <laughs> confit. Confit. <laughs> do it, man. Yeah. Hit hit me up, dude. I got a, I got like 10 tabs open since starting this because uh, I got all these apps and stuff I got to download now. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'll, I'll definitely share any knowledge I can with regard to what I do. So I'm liable to pick your brain with the cooking for sure. Cool, Robert. And if you don't mind sending me a link so I can link to our uh, discussion and to your uh, podcast, dude, I appreciate it. 100%, oh, your man. YouTube channel, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'll send all that to you. This will probably go live on uh, on Monday or so. So people will, will be hearing this. They'll be getting hungry and then they'll be in the kitchen. Let's do it, dude. That's awesome. Let's share some photos of what we make. Let's do it. Awesome, man. Again, I appreciate the time, brother. Appreciate the knowledge and we'll we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Robert. Take care, buddy.